Hi, I'm Paul Havershoud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives. In big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Всім добрий вечір. Лідер фракції тут. Голова Офісу Президента тут. Прем'єр-міністр Шмигаль тут. Подаляк тут. Президент тут. That's a defiant Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, at the beginning of the Russian invasion. As war started, Ukrainians answered their leader's call to defend the country, with people flooding back into Ukraine to join the fight. Two years in, it is a different story. More than 25,000 men have fled Ukraine to avoid fighting. Under martial law, most men between the ages of 18 and 60 are banned from leaving the country unless they have an exemption. 15,000 of those men have crossed into neighboring Moldova. CBC's Briar Stewart was just at the border between Ukraine and Moldova. She's in our London studio. Briar, hello. Hello. What was it like at that border? Well, you know, I want to give you a sense of the geography, Matt, because Moldova has a sprawling border with Ukraine, 1,200 kilometers, and it basically borders Ukraine on three sides. And in the north, uh, where a lot of men cross, it's a little bit more difficult because there's a river that runs there between Ukraine and Moldova. And then on the eastern flank, you have the uh, Russian-backed separatist region of Transnistra. And so officials believe that there are very few men that cross there, but there have been some documented cases. And then you have the southern border with Ukraine, which is where we were. And uh, driving around, it's really an area that's a a patchwork of farm fields. Moldova is very reliant on agriculture. And at this time of year, it's very muddy. Uh, The fields are muddy. The roads are are really rutted. It is kind of difficult to get around, whether you're you're on car or on foot. Mm. And what Moldovan uh, officials tell us is that a lot of the men choose to cross here simply because it is so remote. Um, You have, you know, small villages, very spread out. And these men, frequently cross at night hoping that they can make it out in the cover of darkness, which is why you have the border police stepping up patrols. And you went out with one of those patrols. You spoke with the border police, right? Yeah, that's right. We went out with the crew uh, one night, actually, by the time we drove out with them, it was early in the morning around 2 a.m. And uh, the crew was stationed about 500 meters from the Ukrainian border in this case. And Mm. it was incredibly dark. There was a full moon out, but even with that, you really couldn't even see the border guards until you were standing right beside them. And uh, really kind of what tipped us off that they were there is the lights of the drone and that, that buzzing noise. Now, flying that drone uh, is a young man named Vladimir Karudimov, and he's part of a team watching one section of the border, a 30-kilometer section. And he's been flying that drone uh, since the fall, watching for signs of men crossing over from Ukraine. Every night, every day, you can find uh, such uh, illegal migrants. I can uh, approach to the Ukrainian border and mm-hmm. I can see the Ukrainian part, a good part of the Ukrainian part. Okay. And uh, if I observe an immigrant on the Ukrainian part, if I observe a person, I start to control him. And I see if he's approaching to the border, I understand that uh, in five minutes, ten minutes, we, he probably will uh, enter in our territory. Uh, I 
save uh, my partner mm-hmm. to drive car. He is driving, I am looking on the drone. And in 20-25 minutes, the immigrant is uh, arrested. Right, so he's talking about just his section of the border, but this is happening all along that very long border. Mm. And what Krudimov said, Matt, is on at least one occasion, as he's flying the drone and kind of watching the men as they're about to head into Moldova, uh, some have chosen to turn back because they, they, they hear the drone, uh, perhaps they see the light and, and they become afraid. If they don't turn back and they make it to Moldova, what happens? Well, it depends a little bit on how quickly they're spotted by the border police, if they are spotted, uh, which they often are. And, uh, you know, the the police come in, as you heard, they they arrest the men. But very quickly what happens is that they they identify themselves as being Ukrainian. uh, They claim asylum and they're taken to the police station where they're interviewed. And usually the discussion is quite brief, but it can be longer if the men admit to paying someone to help them cross. Uh, They're then at that point released and then they are expected to report to an immigration center. And this is where they have all of their information taken. They are fingerprinted, uh, their photograph is taken, and it's all entered into a database. And I spoke with um, an official from Moldova's internal ministry. His name is Yuri Golbin, and he kind of explained some of the process and really what they've been seeing there. They pass illegally uh, the green border. After that, they ask from, uh, for asylum. And if uh, they want to go to the other country, they must uh, refuse for asylum. Most of them uh, want to, to go to the European Union. Every day we have more and more men. Moldova gives them uh, international protection. Here in, uh, in uh, our country, they are safe and they don't have any risk. Uh, mostly of them are young people from 18, 20, 22, 24. Most of them are students, people who have, uh, they have big dreams. Big dreams. And otherwise, I mean, without crossing, they would be within that catchment that would be expected to stay in the country and perhaps fight for mm-hmm. Ukraine. Absolutely. This isn't just happening in Moldova, though, right? Where else and how else are, are, are men escaping Ukraine? That's right. Moldova is just one of the countries. And the numbers that we have for the the number of men who have illegally crossed, they come from Moldova, Romania, Slovakia, and Hungary. And all of these countries gave us numbers. And and together, since the start of the war, they report uh, about 25,000 crossing illegally. Mm. We did not get a response when we inquired about the numbers uh, from Poland. Um, But we do know that those numbers, I mean, it's just part of the picture, because you would have to assume that some of the men aren't caught. Maybe they don't claim asylum right away. Maybe they transit through Moldova uh, right into a, a different uh, to a different country. And then, of course, you have to consider all the people who are able to make it out through the checkpoints uh, with documents that were perhaps forged showing that they were exempt from military service. You know, they can be exempt, for instance, if they have a, a medical issue. Now, we don't know how many of them have successfully gone through the checkpoints with fake documents, but we do know that Ukrainian authorities said they have caught thousands of men attempting to do this, and and they and they failed to cross over. So you spoke with two men who had made it to Moldova. What sort of state were they in? 
Well, they were very nervous, and that goes for these men that we managed to speak with and, and men that we approached um, who did not want to speak with us. They were all very nervous, uh, worried about the repercussions of leaving their country illegally, and they did not want us uh, to reveal their full names. Now, the two men that I spoke to, Sergei and Vladimir, they were both staying in a shelter for refugees in Moldova, and they had crossed over in January on foot, walking several hours through the night. They both said their clothes had gotten so muddy that they basically had to throw them out at the end of their journey. And they were uncertain about what they were going to do next. As I said, they're staying in the shelter in Moldova. But the one thing they were clear about is that they had no regrets around leaving. Why did they leave? Well, the men were really afraid of being drafted uh, into the military. And this is uh, the key point because, you know, there are some men out there who have been separated from their families this whole time, nearly two years. I mean, there's a lot of men that fall into that category because perhaps uh, the wife and the children have left Ukraine. They're living somewhere else. People have been separated and they want to reunite. But in Vladimir and Sergei's case, Uh, It was really for them an issue of being drafted. Vladimir said he didn't want to be forced to kill anyone and he didn't feel guilty for leaving, he said, because he didn't want to get swept into a war that he simply didn't want to fight in. I mean, Mm. he saw leaving as an act of of self-preservation, if you will. And Sergei, on the other hand, really thought that having a ban on men leaving the country was a human rights issue. Survive or not survive? I hate the war. I don't have the exp- uh, military experience in my life. Every time I do something like for social, you know, social project uh, for peace. And every man need to have a choice, you know, because if you want to go into war, defend your country, okay, it's your choice. But if you can uh, work and help like volunteer, it's too okay. You need to have a choice. It's democracy, yeah. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. How difficult was it for them to make this decision now to get up and leave? Well, it's all very difficult. And I think that's evident by the fact that uh, Russia's full-scale invasion has been going on for nearly two years. And they have been considering this for, for months now, and, and what we, we, we heard and what we understand is that because there is such an effort by Ukraine right now to, to recruit more soldiers, to bolster its troops on the front line, uh, you know, men, men think that they have a greater chance of being swept up in some kind of draft. Now, I met a, a man named Vitaly, 38 years old. He was uh, one of maybe half a dozen men at the immigration center waiting to get his, his information taken. Uh, and he basically said that he'd been agonizing over this decision on whether to leave for about a year. I come to Moldova because it's very dangerous in Ukraine. We go walking. 
Ну и страх, это ж небезопасно пересекать на все это дело. Now, during our conversation, uh, most of which he, he, he spoke uh, in Russian, he talked about how he was living in Odessa, how he saved up his money uh, from working at, at a casino there. And originally he was living in Kharkiv uh, in the northeast at the start of the war. It very quickly, that city was pummeled by, by Russian forces with missiles and shelling. So he left, went to Odessa, but his parents live in, in Zaporizhia in the east. And he had told them about his decision to leave, but he wasn't actually able to visit them before he went. And and he talked about how when he left there, he managed to get over the border. He again walked for, for several hours over the night. And after he was picked up by police, he had called his mother to say that he was alive and, and he had made it out. Uh-huh. And he talked about just his decision to leave now. And, and really, he felt that he, he just had to. I mean, he was one of these men who had been waiting, uh, very nervous about the possibility of being drafted, but hopeful that, that the war would end, that things would turn. And the reality of the situation, I guess, is sunk into him. And he was seeing these videos pop up on social media of military recruitment officers at gyms, at malls, trying to draft men. And he didn't want to get caught up in that. Um, and so after speaking to acquaintances about crossing, what routes are the best, are the safest, he decided to leave. What happened? I mean, this is so different than, than what we saw early on in the war, where people were so enthusiastic um, about signing up. And, and, and now, as you said, there are these rumors that a draft could come and these videos of people being enlisted while they happen to be at the gym or at the mall. What happens if these people who decide that they want to leave get caught before they get out of Ukraine? Oh, that's right. And, and, and Vitaly kind of said that, you know, he, he was exhausted himself and he kind of described it as just people uh, being tired. I mean, you can you can imagine, you know, nearly two years of living through war and that enthusiasm and the, those crowds that rushed to enlist at the beginning, they're not there anymore. And in terms of, of the men, you know, deciding to leave, I mean, the, one of the biggest risks they take is that they could get caught by the Ukrainian authorities before they get out. And if this happens, they will be fined, they could face uh, criminal charges and be, be sent to jail. Now, since the beginning of the war, Ukraine has said it stopped more than 18,000 men from crossing over illegally. Mm. And the border guards frequently post photos and, and videos of men being detained. And about two weeks ago, uh, they put out a video on YouTube, and it was kind of a highly produced information segment with, with the clear goal of trying to deter men from leaving. Vitaio, Cordon UA. Yeah, so you can kind of hear there that ominous music. It looks like a, like a newscast. It is, yeah. And it's basically a warning telling men not to escape and that they can die if they try. There are videos of the river between Ukraine and Romania, and the host says that 19 people have died trying to cross the Tisa River. And I wanted to read a quote from the host specifically. He said that people who cross the border can get caught or die. It can happen to anyone who dares to escape from a country where his peers with weapons in their hands are choosing our right not to be Russia. So, I mean, that is a very uh, clear message to try to dissuade these men from following the thousands of others who have already crossed. A message not only that they could die, but that there are other men who are choosing to fight for Ukraine. That's part of it. And I think when we're talking to these men and they are not wanting to reveal their identities, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the legal repercussions of what it means to cross illegally. But you have to also imagine that very conflicted feelings. I mean, you have people who have been fighting 
in Ukraine on the front line for hundreds of days now, men who signed up at the beginning and are still there. And then their families um, are basically pleading with the government to demobilize some of these people who are just so exhausted from war. And then you have this other group that has left is a very divisive issue. You connected with some of the people who are trying to offer passage out of Ukraine. In these sorts of situations, there's always somebody who is trying to help somebody else, perhaps for money or for other reasons. What did they tell you? There's plenty of those people out there, and you can find them on Telegram, which is a very popular uh, messaging platform in Ukraine. And I found several users who were advertising services to help get men out. I contacted one, and he said he could arrange transportation uh, out of Moldova. It would cost just over 4000 Canadian. Uh, that was kind of the, the equivalent. And he said that men wouldn't have to pay, though, until they reach uh, the EU. Others offered uh, other options. One said that for, you know, the equivalent of $6,700 Canadian, he could uh, make up a fake disability certificate, which uh, a man would be able to show at the border and be able to leave through the checkpoint. Mm. Not everybody is leaving, though. There are people, and we saw this, you know, at the very beginning of the war, but this far in, there are also people who are headed back into Ukraine, right? Mm-hmm, certainly. And, and we saw that at the beginning where, where people returned. And, um, you know, even though the the, the number of volunteers uh, signing up has certainly diminished from the from the early days, um, you know, y- y- there are still um, hundreds of thousands of people that Ukraine says are, are under arms in the country. And I spoke with a, a young man named Dmitry Trzhensky, and he's a political scientist living in western Ukraine, actually not far from the, the border with uh, Romania. And he was out of the country during the initial weeks of the invasion. He was in Hungary. He was taking part of in a an international observer mission for the election. And he said uh, he heard a lot of warnings from friends urging him to, to just not return, uh, to stay out of the country. And he said he decided to return. You know, my decision was, and it was like my decision, he had to come back knowing that, yes, you could be drafted, etc., etc. So uh, martial law is the only way, I mean, rational way, when you have the real war. So it's not special military operation. We have invasion. This is the only response to such uh, danger. You know, this is the reaction of the country when people are trying to, not trying, people massively uh, search the possibilities to pay bribe and to, to escape illegally. I'm, I'm not the person who is blaming people who escape. The problem is that they illegally do this. But, you know, their reality is just one side of the reality. They made their choice. Look, of course, I'm afraid you prepare yourself, you know, every day. Right now, you know, mentally, I'm more or less, okay, so I will be drafted. This is the life. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah, of course, I don't want to. Now, he said he's, he's registered with the military office, which men are required to do, and he, he realizes that he could be conscripted at any time. But he says that isn't changing how he lives his life, uh, which is interesting because, you know, speaking with other men, we've heard about them uh basically hiding, hiding at home, people changing their their patterns, walking kind of securitous routes to work so they can avoid walking past the draft office. Uh, but what Dimitro says is that he he's carrying on as normal, knowing that, that he could be conscripted at any moment. Just in the last couple of minutes that we have, how is the Ukrainian government handling all of this? Well, the issue of mobilization is, is very contentious, and it comes at a time when 
Um, you know, after nearly two years, uh, in a lot of ways, Russia has the momentum on, on the battlefield. I mean, you had the top general of Ukraine um, say a couple of months ago that the war had basically evolved into a stalemate. It has become a, a battle of attrition. And and there is a, a weariness. And, and Ukraine's top commander has said that hundreds of thousands of more soldiers are needed. Uh, they want He wants the, the uh, country to recruit as many as half a million more. Mm. And the president of Ukraine, um, you know, isn't sure he supports that idea. In fact, it, it, there's been many reports that it is a big disagreement between both men. Um, there are concerns that it's not feasible for Ukraine, that it's not financially possible, because not only would you have to pay these soldiers, but if you're drafting this many men, you're taking them out of the workforce, they can't pay taxes, there are all kinds of um, financial implications. And and, and also it is, it is just um, it is a real divisive issue, and and as I said, you know, people are are, are weary after uh, you know months, two, nearly two years of war, right. and um, it, it, it it would be a, a very big step to to recruit this many. So just before I let you go, I mean, for those people who do leave, who get out of Ukraine, can they ever go back? Well, certainly not right now, not unless they're prepared to face the punishment uh, for leaving. Uh, I think they realize that they have to stay away and at least until this this war is over, possibly forever. Uh, Sergei, the, one of the men I spoke to in, in Moldova, said even given that, he has no regrets about leaving. Very happy for me. Okay, well done. Every friend tell me that, uh, that the same. And now some of your friends are asking for advice? Asking, but I can help. I just uh, try, try. Because it's danger. In every war, I lose uh, everybody. You need to talk. You need to communication. You have the mind. You have your town. You have your education, diplomatic, you know. You have to decide peaceful decision. Well, he isn't sure how much longer he'll stay in Moldova. He wasn't quite sure where he would head next. The only thing he was sure of is that he he didn't want to be in Ukraine anymore. This is fascinating, Briar. Thank you very much. You're welcome. The CBC's Briar Stewart in London. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.